Hey there, listeners. Welcome to the official WNRG podcast. We believe the best knowledge is knowledge that is shared. Throughout our podcast journey, you'll hear advice from thought leaders, gain insight into areas of expertise other than your own, and hear the inspiring stories of others. This production is made possible by the dedication of our core team. I'm Tara DeLucia. I'm Carmen Pantoja Evans. And I'm Brittany Lemaire. We are looking forward to hearing what topics are important to you. Be intentional. Stay curious. And inspire others. You can share your thoughts on our WNRG Buzz page or by tagging us. Hashtag WNRG Podcast Series. So today in the studio, we have Maria Schaefer. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Absolutely. I am a director into the technology group. I get to lead the Project Management Competency Center, which is primarily what it means is we're the PMO of IT. We work with all of the technology projects that we pursue here in the company. So we have about 250 project management professionals in my team. And then in addition to that, I get to have the privilege of leading our mentoring committee and the mentoring work that we do with the Women's Network Resource Group. So you spoke about your role that you have currently. Can you share a little bit more about your experience um, coming into Humana? Absolutely. I came in as a temporary administrative support to Humana's talent acquisition team back in 2004, shortly after my husband and I relocated here from Michigan. We did not know anybody in Louisville, Kentucky. So I, while I was interviewing for a full-time job, I decided I was going to work with an agency and see if I could get a temporary job somewhere, and they assigned me to Humana. I was interviewed and offered a full-time opportunity here at Humana shortly after I started that temporary assignment. Long story short, I ran into one of the executives in HR in passing, and our short hallway conversation turned into a job interview invitation for the next day, and then two days later, I got offered a job for full-time employment Amazing. and then never looked back. Yes. So that's the, that. what do they say, the 30-second elevator speech? The 30, yeah. It was more like a three-minute elevator speech, but it, it, it was magical how it just, you know, I look back at the career journey that I've taken in the last 14 years since then, and it, it still blows my mind because I've had so many different opportunities beyond that, and every single one of them, a lot of them were powered by some chance encounters or another individual just championing my move. And in that situation, when I started at Humana, it was that HR executive that I met in random passing championing me to get assigned to those interviews that I went on the next day and then ultimately landed me a full-time job. So I'm going to tie it back to Kathy's interview. Kathy Eads, we did a few episodes ago when we talked about mentorship for sponsorship. Mm-hmm. And so that championing sounds a lot like sponsorship. and the Absolutely. Just saying, hey, I think you'd be a good fit for this job. Now show me what you can do. That's correct. Yeah. Awesome. Were you in HROs before coming to Humana? No. I had no experience in HR. I wanted to get into HR long term, but no company would even want to take a look at my resume because, one, I was so green, and I didn't have a business degree, nor did I have a whole lot of business background. So I think it was pretty risky for any organization to take on someone so green as me and teach me HR, and it was hard It was tough getting into opportunities. In fact, when I ran into that VP in passing, 
I had just told my supervisor that, hey, I needed to end my temporary assignment early because I had just accepted a role to get into pharmaceutical sales. And I was supposed wow. to move into pharmaceutical sales the following week because, again, we had just moved here. So there's, mm-hmm. I'm trying to fill in my schedule, and I was going to transition straight from the temporary assignment into full-time pharmaceutical sales. And, and then I ran into that VP, and the rest of my career journey changed. Is that VP still here? No, he's retired he's now. Retired. Yes. You had mentioned 14 years at Humana? Yes. Right. Can you share about some of the other roles that you've held? Oh my goodness, do we have all the time? <laughs> I ha- so it's it's going to sound like I'm a job hopper or that I can't keep a job. But in 14 years at Humana, I'm on my 10th role, my 10th formal job assignment. I started out, and that's including the temporary admin support that I started with. But after that temporary admin, admin support, I served as a compensation specialist. Then I served as a compensation process manager focused on executive compensation. I then transitioned to be the HR consultant for account installation group when they were just starting up that department. And then I moved over to be the HR consultant for IT at the time that we were reorganizing IT to help position our new CIO. And then from there, I returned to compensation to lead sales compensation strategies. And then I moved over to lead general compensation work for all of our P&L businesses. And then I, I, I had the opportunity to serve as the chief of staff in the group segment. From that role, I got recruited to move to IT to help start up a brand new department. And I, I served as director of that department. It's called BACC, or Business Analysis Competency Center. And then I moved over to my current role, which is to lead the PMO, or the Project Management Competency Center in IT. So I, I have a question. Yeah. How familiar, familiar were you with the IT business? Uh, I was familiar only from the standpoint of I supported IT back in 2009 or 2010 as their HR partner. But and so I knew what their human capital needs were, but I didn't really know IT language or IT work. In fact, when I got the phone call letting me know that IT was interested in in talking with me about an opportunity in their space, I was surprised. And I asked my leader at the time, what could they possibly want me to do in IT? <laughs> and uh, but, but at the same time, though, that's a common question that I would ask frequently whenever I would get tapped for a new opportunity. Every role that I've had, including the role that I first entered into when I came into Humana full-time, I feel like I was really unfamiliar with that space. In fact, years ago, when someone told me, if someone had, would have told me that people got paid to do compensation work, I probably would not have believed them. Um, so, so to have been offered the job, my very first full-time job at Humana as a compensation analyst, I think to me was... Uh, a surprise, but at the same time, it was exciting because it was completely brand new space and something that I didn't know anything about. So as you've transitioned and yeah. moved around to different areas of the business, how have you dealt with the ambiguity of not knowing these positions and these roles? Or- oh, sure. Uh, moving to a business area that I'm initially unfamiliar with is certainly nerve-wracking, and it's a humbling experience because, you know, for, at least in my experience, it's been I always get to start at the bottom of the learning curve. But at the same time, it's so exciting. Uh, I love learning and getting to build new skills and getting to learn new things and getting to meet new people and establish new relationships. So being able to work to advance through a learning curve is always 
a motivating experience for me. And I don't think one truly overcomes that learning curve because inevitably something new will come up that you'll have to learn too. But in my experience, I feel that most of my professional and frankly personal maturity growth has taken place out of me moving into those ambiguous situations. I think jumping into ambiguous situations requires you to stretch your thinking and to challenge yourself to behave in ways that you may not have operated in before. Uh, I'll give a perfect example. When I got invited to lead our sales compensation practices, I had zero experience working in that space. And I also had zero familiarity with our sales organization and how they did their work. So it was, so when I got asked to move into that role, frankly, I was terrified. Um, and I had also learned that there were several opportunities that they were counting on the next leader to address in that space. So from that get-go, I became very focused on learning about that niche field, networking in that niche field, because it was in those networks that could take on the most learning. And then also learning really quickly about the sales groups, not just who they were, but also understanding how they worked, what they sold, and and how to work most effectively with them. And basically just molded the way I operated according to what their needs were. And it worked. And I like how you talk about taking risk. So yes. Sometimes that's what you have to do. You have to step out of that comfort zone and um, and out of that safety net and and reach out there. And I think that is a great takeaway Mm -hmm. um, that I'm hearing today from you that um, take the risk, uh, learn new things. Yeah, absolutely. That's when the most growth takes place. And also, along with that risk is this courage of not being afraid to fail. And, you know, there were many times when I, especially in that transition phase into a new role where I'd feel like, gosh, I'm not sure I'm really cut out for this or I'm not sure what I what to do next. And it feels like I'm at the brink of failure. But continuing to forge forward and not letting that intimidate you, I think is really important. And if you fail, you fail. So what? Then pick yourself back up and move on. And I think that's really important too because failure is also a good learning ground. And if we open ourselves up to the possibility of failing, as long as we're also okay with ourselves doing whatever it takes to overcome that failure – that could be a, a very rich learning experience for us. Absolutely. I have like a great quote that kind of lines up with that. It says, your success is directly related to the meaning you apply to your experiences. If you failed, do yourself a fav- favor and learn from it, pivot, and overcome the obstacle. That's correct. From um, Jordan Belfort. And we'll also include a little bit about that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. I, I have one question I've been dying to ask you, but yeah. how do you make decisions? What process do you use? You know, what, oh, wow. what's, I know. What's the thinking that you use when it's time to make a critical decision? Um, gosh, I've never thought of that before. How do I make decisions? I think when I look to what my usual tendencies are, I try to gather as many facts as possible. And I don't stop at just what I know, but I seek out what other uh, I seek out other people's perspectives, and try to look at the problem or the question from all different angles, and then from there, make the best call that I could make. And then and then I watch for what's the impact. And if I see that the impact is moving the right direction, then I leave it alone. But if the impact is not moving quite the direction that I had intended or had planned for, then I'm very quick to. Um, 
to reevaluate and take action. I don't just make the decision and then run. <laughs> Global thinker. I, I like、right. that. Like that's how that's how I am. I think that that's what makes you a really good leader too. If、yeah. you understand the parts and you understand the people, kind of you know working un- under you and working with you, so、mm-hmm. that you as a leader can more effectively help manage them and you understand their pain points. And- yeah, and that's a skill set and mindset that I also had to. Uh, develop and refine over time, and I'm continuing to develop and refine that as I continue to grow in my career. Because years ago, had I, when I started in the corporate world, I think I was more of a I'm a very convicted person. So when I have my mind made up with something, I run with it. And in order for me to change direction, I have to be really involved. And what I've learned is I can't be involved in everything. So I have to come to situations with an open mind and seek out other perspectives and other facts that, even when they may negate my own perspective or my opinion or my own facts,、mm-hmm. and use that holistic view to really determine what's the right direction that we need to go to. So there's there's something to be said about the level of confidence that you exude. It's、mm-hmm. it's very inspiring. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about how you've developed that confidence, and then. Any tips or any advice you have for women in the workplace who want to、um, increase increase their confidence in their role and、um, just be a better associate? Well, I really appreciate you saying that、it's、I、true. exude confidence. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. I wish I felt that way. It's I'll tell you, it's a work in progress, and I think it's I think I I will. It's not something that I'll ever be done with in working with my confidence.、Um, one of my shortfalls, and it's just a natural. Inherent trait in my personality is that I'm not very good at taking stock of my own accomplishments and patting myself in the back for my own、uh, for my own achievements.、Um, or if I've done anything to help another person, I always attribute it to the other person and really discredit my my own contributions. I, and I always tend to think we can do better or I can do better. So I'm never fully satisfied, and I think because of that、uh, never fully satisfied thing. I, I don't really take a moment to just say, "Hey, Maria,、uh, you're a rock star." <laughs> I don't take a moment to really pat myself in the back and recognize my own contributions. But what I've learned over time is that the, those pauses are important. In fact, it was a mentor who really worked with me to get okay with taking a moment and saying, "Hey, Marie, you've done a good job." And it doesn't have to be this whole lengthy process, but just even a second to say, "Yeah, I nailed that."、Yeah. Before I move on, that's very empowering and that's very confidence building, and that helps me continue to move forward even. When I'm faced with a lot of challenges, so basically, what I've, what I've, what I'm continuing to teach myself is moving from the when it comes to my work, moving from the negative self-talk about I can always do better, and that's while that's true, I can always do better, but that doesn't mean that I've not done a good job so far, and I need and I continue to remind、that's、myself、good. to、I、pause and. Uh, empower myself that way. That's the magic part of it, right there. Is like, sure, you can push yourself to do better, but you you also need to do that little self pat、exactly. on the back. And I'm gonna throw you some props because we talked about this in my mentoring circle. And writing our elevator speeches were so hard because we felt we just couldn't lighten up enough to say, "Hey, we did a really good job at this."、Yes. And like to 
qualify and quantify our goals mm-hmm. and everything like that, that was a real challenge for me. But because of the mentoring circle, I was able to come out with a lot stronger um, way to develop my goals and yeah. to, you know, say, hey, this is what I did and present it to my leader. So thank you. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting because I'm, I'm a people leader. And so yeah. one of the things that I, I try to talk to my directs about is that if you don't champion for yourself, mm-hmm. no one else is going to. That's correct. So if you can't quantify and qualify what value you're bringing to the organization, mm-hmm. no one else is going to do it. And so we've been talking, just having those conversations that that's your responsibility. You know, when we get to the end of the year, when we're talking about how you've made this uh, a better organization mm-hmm. um, and just teaching them ways to start to, to pull it out of the work they do. So mm-hmm. I think that's a huge part of building that confidence, knowing that, oh, look how I'm contributing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that's great that you're coaching them through those actions. Because as I mentioned earlier, the whole confidence thing is still a work in progress for me. And, and I'm fully aware of that. But I know that if I walked into certain situations appearing not confident, I'm just completely going to bomb that situation. So I mitigate that by taking the extra step of preparing. So what does that mean? When I'm, in, when I'm preparing for an interview, for instance, I make sure I fully prepare to talk about the things that I've done well. What are my key achievements? And remind myself of that and take notes of those because I know that if I were to just get asked on the fly, it'll be very difficult for me to just name them because my my thought process is not normally set to just rattle off all the things that I've done really well. So I prepare for that. And when, when I get asked to speak sometimes uh, uh, publicly, I also take a moment to really think through what I put in my bio. Uh, when I get asked for my speaker bio to make sure that I'm also naming some of the things that I've done well in the past because, again, my mind is not naturally wired to just think of those things on the fly. Awesome. Do you find yourself um, reading certain books to help support this oh, yes. ideas and confidence that you have? I mean, are you a, um, a book junkie? Or are I you am. A, mm-hmm. Yeah, I read a lot of books. I can't just name one because there are so many that I read. I, I I check out a lot of books in the self-help category. Mm-hmm. Uh, primarily, also I also read a lot of leadership books. Awesome. Well, maybe we can get a, a few of your favorites and add them to the show notes. Yeah, awesome. absolutely. Mm. Great. Um, and I kind of wanted to touch on a little bit, since you are a female in a somewhat male-dominated field, industries, yes. and mm-hmm. in the tech field, um, would you like to talk about any of the barriers or anything um, in regards to that? that you've maybe seen or overcame as a female in the tech world? I think the only barrier that I've seen so far, if you can even call that a barrier, is that culture inherently there's uh, there are some cultural challenges that I have to overcome because majority of the people that are at the same table as I am can't relate to a lot of the personal experiences that I'm having in the workplace or outside of the workplace that also impact or have to balance with the activities Mm -hmm. that I have in the workplace. So I'll give you an example. When I first joined the technology group, one of the things that I immediately noticed was I was part of this meeting that was taking place twice a week, and it was very early in the morning. We would start at 730 in the morning, which normally for me would be fine, except I have two children, two small children. And being the mother, um, and my husband also has a demanding job that is far less flexible, 
I do morning routines with the children. So for two days right off the bat, I had to figure out an, a way in which I can be at my meeting at 7.30 and not miss that beat, but at the same time, my children's needs are cared for in the morning, because 7.30 is usually the time that they're waking up. So they wake up on those two days. They I would have to be okay with them waking up. Somebody else is taking care of my duties, because by the time that they wake up, I'm already at work. But one of the things I noticed was that there was another person in that meeting invited who's dialing in from Pacific time zone at 7.30 morning, 7.30 in the morning Eastern time which means that's 4.30 in the morning, Pacific time zone. And that person is also a mother of young children. And, and, And so to me, that was a conversation that I felt I needed to initiate. Even though I'm walking into this meeting while it was already underway, they had already made their agreements of when it was going to be scheduled, but I felt the a strong need to challenge our scheduling for that meeting (laughs) to make sure that we could really accommodate and care for that person's needs, even though that person may not be raising any concern at the time. Mm. So there are those little things that happen in the culture when there's, and I think in a male-dominated, in male-dominated industries. And I don't think that's unique to Humana because certainly when I connect with other technology leaders who are females as out of Humana, they experience similar uh, similar cultural barriers and sometimes even worse than what we experience here today. Well, I'm glad you're bringing up the work-life balance because that's what I feel like Humana yeah. really does support yeah. for all associates. And, Absolutely. And that you called it out and that you um, you helped yeah. uh, you helped her as, long, as well as you and they mm-hmm. learned something along the way. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I, I would uh, say though is that you know I've been in IT now for almost three years and I would say that in just those short three years, I've seen a massive improvement as far as gender gender difference awareness and across IT. I see um, I see IT leaders and really just uh, all the technology players at Humana being more conscious. The fact that we are a male dominated field within Humana, there are probably some things that happen that we're not aware of because we don't intend for them to happen that may be disparaging to women. And we're actively working to raise awareness around that and uh, making sure that we we address those so that they don't continue to be barriers for people. So just to kind of clarify, some of the situations that we come across are not intentional. They weren't done, you know, you know, in that's correct. Despite it was just that we needed to have a conversation, bring awareness. Exactly. And, and keep it out in the open, which seems to be a recurring theme, theme. Um, when we talk to individuals. We just need to be talking about these things. Exactly. Yeah. It starts with a discussion. And some of those discussions may be difficult to initiate because you don't, you, you may not feel very confident as to what the response will be. But I think silence is worse. is worse because what does is it just perpetuates a negative situation mm-hmm. without bringing it to the people who can make the impact, the positive impact, uh, aligned and aware of what's really going on. But, you know, what are your thoughts on, on just figuring out how to give 100% of yourself to work and 100% of yourself to home? Yeah. You know, what do you do to, to get that, that balance? Well, one of the first things that I had to do was to shift my attitude, which is it's never possible to give my 100% to two things. It's either I get okay with fracking up my 100% so that one gets X percentage, another one Y percentage, or I keep myself in this hamster wheel of trying to chase after the 100% and everything that I need to do. So 
so as far as shifting the mindset, and I made the shift probably about six or seven years ago, where I finally came to terms. It, it was when I was struggling with trying to manage, trying to be the best mom to my child. I only had one child at a time. And trying to continue to sustain the work ethic that I had at Humana and also in all of my community work. And at the end of the day, I learned it's either I kill myself chasing after that perfection or I just release that perfection. I release myself from the pressure of being perfect. So that's one thing that I had to change. And another thing that I had to change is being okay with asking for help. Whether that be in the workplace or at home or in my community activities, an example is today um, my my preschool daughter, ha um, my father typically drives her to school and back on Mondays, and today my father couldn't do it because he's out traveling. And instead of me trying to figure out how I could pull it off while managing all of my work responsibilities, I started calling my neighbors around to see who might be able to give my daughter a ride. I think had that happened 10 years ago, I would have never been okay with calling my neighbors around to see, because it felt like I'm trying to relieve myself of responsibilities and pass it on to other people. But now I'm okay with the fact that there are days that a neighbor will pick up my child from school and that's okay. It takes a tribe, right? It, that's right. it takes a village. It takes a right. village. That's, yeah. the, yes, that's it. Well, and it sounds like you're really good at delegating. Yes. Whether it's yeah. home responsibilities or work responsibility, responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And that does make a difference when you – and that you don't micromanage, we'll call it. That's right. Um, it, it sounds like that uh, by doing so, you empower the folks around you. That's correct. Um, and that's a good feeling. Mm -hmm. It's a really mm -hmm. good feeling. Yeah. Um, it's back to that mentoring, which is what you're really good at in yeah. the mentoring circles with the WNRG. What is the culture like in your department? So I'm still new in my department. I'm there for less than a year, and um, I'm continuing to study our culture. I'm continuing to study the culture that we need to drive ourselves to. But when it comes to the cultures that I operate in or the cultures that I lead, I aim to have an open culture where everyone's voices are heard, mm -hmm. where everyone feels like they matter and their work matters. So to me, the best way to drive that is to initiate connection points mm -hmm. and and really show people and convey to people that uh, that we want to hear from them. We want to hear about what's going well in their daily work. What are they most proud of? And celebrate those accomplishments and celebrate those successes, but also make it known to them that we also want to hear about their challenges so that we can figure out how can we address those and how can we work together to address those. I also want to make sure that we drive to a culture of empowerment, that people feel like they don't need to escalate everything in order for anything to happen, that they are really understanding and internalizing that some of the things that they feel are necessary to be done, they can initiate for themselves as well and that they don't have to worry about getting their hands slapped or getting um, or having to face negative consequences because they initiated action. In fact, I want us to be able to celebrate the fact that they took the proactive action to make a difference. And I know and I think we all know, because our associate experience survey results say it, empowerment is a major opportunity for us in Humana. It's a major opportunity in my team. And that's something that I and the rest of our leadership team are actively evaluating to see how can we really help our teammates understand and really feel like they're empowered, because they are. But sometimes 
we get it in the way of our own empowerment and we overthink things and we let our own fears get ahead of themselves. So, so that's one of the things that we're working on in our team. Well, you're really awesome, Maria. I wish we could clone you. I mean, you would just be a, perf- <laughs> you would be a perfect leader across the board and um, been completely inspired by your conversations from past to today. Yes, and, well, thank uh, you. And I'm sure your team loves um, the way you lead and that, uh, and that you're willing to empower them. And mm-hmm. it makes a difference. Thank you. It totally does. Yeah. Awesome. Well, my last question is, uh, can we have you come back soon? I would love the opportunity to come back. This has been fun. And like I mentioned earlier, one of the things that really excites me is when I see someone else getting surprised by themselves because they're realizing, oh, my gosh, Mm -hmm. I'm growing or I'm able to do something that I didn't think I could do. Mm -hmm. And to have a part of that is amazing. And you're looking at her right now, (laughs) (laughs) looking at all of us. Awesome. Um, here you are, 14 years later. You've just from walking or being in the elevator with a with a VP. Yeah. I mean, wow, that's incredible. That, right. That's really good stuff. Yeah. So, where does Maria see herself in 10 years? Oh my goodness. Well, first of all, um, I don't take for granted how I got started mm. here. I know I was very blessed and lucky all at the same time, and uh, and I never take that for granted. Mm. I always look back to that story and pinch myself and say, sure. oh, my gosh, I can't believe the ride that I've been on. And it all started with that random encounter with that BVP. But 10 years from now, I hope to be in a position where I continue to lead uh, more challenging work and more impactful work that I'm doing now and continue to inspire folks to be a better version of themselves. When I look mm. at the work that I do, I get most excited about seeing – people just surprise themselves because they were able to accomplish something that they didn't think they could Mm do. And I get even more excited when I had something to contribute to that experience. Either Mm -hmm. I pushed them to get there or Mm -hmm. I just gave them the responsibility and told them this all on you and I'm here for guidance, but this is your responsibility. That's exciting to me. And I get excited about being able to contribute to how we can continue to improve our business and improve our consumers' experience with Humana and and improve our members' health. I mean, I cannot – the bold goal. The bold goal is what powers me up to get up every day, show up every day, and put my best foot forward every day. Years ago, we didn't call it the bold goal, but it was the same thing that was motivating me to get up for Humana and to stay with Humana. I feel like I'm part of an organization, we're all part of an organization that drives to a greater cause more than we individually can handle. And I think that's powerful. We're literally getting up every day, not just to make profit, but to make a real difference in people's lives. Well, thank you so much for coming in. I feel like we could just sit in here and talk to you all day. And that's all the time we have for this week's episode. You can share your thoughts on our WNRG Buzz page or by tagging us. Hashtag WNRG Podcast Series. Until next time, be intentional. Stay curious. And inspire others.